Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And then there were five. India's victory at Edgbaston ended Bangladesh's hopes of making the semi-finals. Rabbit Sharma, who hit his fourth century of the World Cup, and Yasprit Bumrah, who took four for 55 and showed his class again at the death, the star performers in a 28-run win. The win confirms India's spot in the last four alongside Australia, leaving England, New Zealand and Pakistan to battle it out for the final two places. Welcome to the Wisdom Extra podcast in partnership with Betfair Exchange, our weekly bumper World Cup show discussing what we've seen over the past week and looking ahead to the final stretch of the tournament. I'm your host Joe Harmon and with me today are two journalists who've been travelling all over the country over the course of the World Cup. We have South African writer Daniel Gallen, who I'm sure regular listeners will be familiar with by now. Hi Dan. Hey Joe, good to see you. And English correspondent for Crick Buzz, Rob Johnston. Rob, I think last time we had you on the show, uh, it was after a washout, not a ball bowled. It's a, it's a nicer setting at the Oval this evening and some cricket to talk about. Yep, much nicer. Good to be here. Thanks, Rob. As usual, uh, we'll come on to the Bangladesh India game, but we're going to start with what each of us have learned over the past week. Uh, Dan, I'm going to come to you first. What have you learned over the past week of cricket? I've learned that the World Cup brings out the stereotypes in every side. Uh, South Africa... Pretty rubbish at World Cups, turn it on when the World Cup is not on the line. Australia, rubbish for three years, turn it on when the World Cup is on the line. England insecurities come out in major tournaments. India are bad losers. Pakistan are erratic and yet somehow galvanize themselves. The West Indians aren't really too bothered by it. Bangladesh are pretty good, but not good enough. Yeah, I just like that this tournament really gives us a neat summation of what each side is. Yeah, I can see that. I can. See, I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, you haven't mentioned the word choke with South Africa there. Is that, or, or, does, does, this even, does this even qualify as a choke? Because no. they didn't get to the point where, where they could choke, really. No, if they were a little bit better, I think they would have choked eventually. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. No, um, in fairness, this isn't a very good side. Fafdu Pasi has said multiple occasions that this is perhaps the weakest side that has come to a tournament. So, mm. no, not a choke. Um, though... People on Twitter will disagree with that, I'm sure. Uh, Rob, what have you learned over the course of the past week? Um, I, th- I think I've learned that Avishka Fernando, Sri Lanka's uh, young 21-year-old batsman, 
absolutely looks the real deal. Mm. Um, he scored 49 against England, which, although Malinga sort of won them that game, he his innings set it up and he took on Joffre Archer and not many people have done that in the tournament. He got 30 against South Africa and he, he played an on-drive off uh, Rabada and he held the pose and you not many people do that to Rabada and it was just a moment and I thought, he looks a good player and then he obviously scored 100 yesterday and that was 100 of ebb and flow. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, you know, a thrash or a one-paced innings. He had to take his time at the start and then kick off. So he looks the real deal. Mm. I guess the one worry you've got is will Sri Lankan cricket manage him right? And I think that's a question for him. He's got to keep his performance levels up as well but he looks such a good player just watching him and some of the shots he plays are just magical there's obviously no doubt at all that he's he's got the talent that is absolutely clear um we have seen i mean kushal mendes hasn't really kicked on from making some unbelievable innings at the start of his career you'd hope with vishka fernando that, that he can kick on because they want him in that they need him in that test team immediately don't they i don't think he's got much of a, a record to speak of particularly in first class cricket but he's obviously got the talent so they'll get him in quickly yeah that's right and he's already sort of been mistreated by the selectors so i think he was 18 he played a game against australia mitchell stark i think got him out lbw for naught mm. and then he was just dropped after that so he played one game which is not the way to treat an 18 year old um but you know, he just looks technically to have it. But yeah, the the, the question is, actually with all those young Australian, uh, Sri Lankan batsmen are, you know, can they now kick on? It's okay averaging 30, but can you average 14, 50? So yeah, uh, he needs to be managed well, but it's up to him as well, I guess. Yeah, I think Yaz said on the show yesterday that actually this World Cup owes a huge debt to Avishka Fernando because if he hadn't played that innings against England and England had gone on to win that game, then all the permutations we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks wouldn't have really existed. We'd have had our top four, as we, as most of us assumed that we that we did. Uh, and this might have been a slightly dull period of the World Cup waiting for the semi-finals to happen. As, it, as it's happened, we've had some really good games with a lot riding on them. That's right. I mean, as you say, there was that fear that it was kind of just going to be a bit too neat and a bit too a bit too tidy halfway through the tournament, but yes, that that Sri Lanka win really set it up. It's a pity that that Bangladesh couldn't get one over India today. I mean, I don't think many people expected them to do so. At one point, it, as you say, it looked like it could have been tight, but if England and we expect England to beat New Zealand, I'm sure we'll get to that. But I think if they win that, does that does that wrap it up entirely? Is that, is that the top four then sorted, no matter what happens with with Bangladesh, Pakistan? Um, well, it comes down to net run rate then, doesn't it? Uh, so if England beat New Zealand and Pakistan beat Bangladesh, then Pakistan will finish on the same number of points as New Zealand, but there'll be a big swing in net run rate that has to happen for mm. Pakistan to leapfrog New Zealand, which, Rob, you were saying it looks borderline impossible. Yeah, I think it's uh, it would take something miraculous to happen for that swing to be made up. So I think really... Um, you know, if England win tomorrow, that's more or less Pakistan out because, you know, even if they were to bowl out Bangladesh on Friday, I think, you know, they'd just be struggling to even make up that gap. So, yeah, big game for Pakistan tomorrow as well, actually. So, yeah, the, the tournament really then wants New Zealand to win tomorrow. Mm. So we've got the, a classic between Pakistan and Bangladesh. Well, actually, we'll, we'll come on to England. Let's let's focus on today's game mm. initially. Um, hang on, I haven't told you what I've learned as well. Uh, what have you I, learned, need, I need to do that as well. Um, so I think it's been mentioned on the show that I've, I've been at Glastonbury the last few days. Um, so that's, that's where my learning came from. I thought this actually yesterday as I was watching uh, the West Indies Sri Lanka game and if you guys are watching you might have mentioned a, or might have seen a brief glimpse of Rihanna 
And when I say a brief glimpse, I mean kind of ball-by-ball ball coverage <laughs> yeah, exactly. throughout that. Wait, was Rowney at the cricket? <laughs> yeah, throughout that holdings. Uh, and it just struck me, whenever there's a star at the cricket, cricket fans get so excited because in some ways, some sort of like validation of, of, of what we're all doing and what we're writing about or what we're watching that, yes, outside of the bubble, people are, people are watching. Um, also, sorry to interrupt because it also adds to what uh, Jonathan Liu wrote in, in one of the columns for your magazine said that cricket is never going to be cool so yeah. when we see someone like Rihanna come to the cricket yeah. it's almost like well can cricket be cool but I mean ultimately the, the our, our obsession with having a celebrity our obsession cricket's obsession with, with showing her ball by ball kind of shows the insecurity of the sport that kind of we will never be cool we might be invited to a cool party but we're never going to be the star of it yeah that, that's absolutely the case uh, and Rihanna is not actually what I've learned this week mine is a kind of juxtaposition of that so while we saw Rihanna at the cricket I saw Chris Wokes at, at Glastonbury uh, an unexpected sighting at the pyramid stage uh, during Kylie on the Sunday Legends slot um, obviously not there in person. He was he was bowling a a, a, sp- a very good opening spell, I believe, uh, against India on Sunday morning. Um, but he was not who I was expecting to see that. I mean, you wouldn't really expect to see any England cricketer um, at Glastonbury on a big flag. Probably least of all Chris Wokes, and he's quite an unassuming, although very very popular bloke. And I say popular, I, I sort of absentmindedly tweeted that from from the uh, from the audience, and then got home and saw that I'd had two thousand likes. Wow! For this tweet, is that a record? Uh, it's about kind of one thousand nine hundred ninety more likes than I've got for any <laughs> other tweet in my life. So, and again, that just showed that was the flip side of it. So, so cricket fans love stars being interested in cricket. Mm. What they love even more than that is seeing cricket pop up in unexpected places because that is real validation that actually it exists in the real world as well. Mm. So I think Chris Wokes, his flag, uh, my tweet, uh, proved <laughs> proved all that to us. Um, and was a nice man. I'd actually just been saying to a, to a friend uh, only about five minutes beforehand that if this was a football World Cup, we'd have heard people talking about the World Cup throughout, uh, throughout Glastonbury, as they were actually about the, the Women's Football World Cup. I was going to ask, was that the only cricket reference that you saw at Glastonbury? It wasn't mentioned at all. In fact, even my friend I was saying this to, I think probably wasn't listening because he doesn't care about cricket at all. But then we see Chris Wokes five minutes later. It was mentioned as I was leaving the England to beat in India. Heard that a couple of times. But other than that, you wouldn't have uh, known it was going on. Which, you know, we, we've covered on this podcast a fair amount already that right. it's not getting the cut through that we would like. The hope is that if England can beat New Zealand tomorrow and get into the semi-finals, then perhaps interest will, will, will rise a little bit as well. And I right. think actually people have talked about the Women's Football Cup almost being as a kind of almost like a rival we keep kind of comparing and say they're getting nine million for their game why aren't cricket get this well i think it can kind of create an interest in in english sport as well if if the women's team go and win the football world cup i think there can be a feel-good factor that could actually extend to the to the cricket world cup as well yeah and the the potential would be that if england's women do win they're playing tonight right if they if they do win that and then they're playing in the World Cup final on Sunday. A week's time, there'll be another potential World Cup final for England. So yeah. you've got a week, seven days with potentially two World Cup finals, which would be great. Oh, there's a lot of sport to be played be- before that, but um, and obviously we've got the women's Ashes going on as well in between. So I think, yeah, uh, it would be great for everything to sort of all those teams to be successful and really create a bit of a, a buzz like the Football World Cup, the Men's Football World Cup last year. And it's the sort of thing the press gets behind as well. You know, like when, when the Olympics is going on and medals start accumulating, then everyone gets involved in it. And I can kind of hopefully, fingers crossed, see a similar effect in the cricket here. It's interesting seeing different sports in competition with each other. Um, to 
referenced Africa as I will every chance I, I get in this pod. We kind of see it maybe because the the national insecurity is, is so much greater than than it is in England. We kind of see the success of the rugby side being a good thing for the footballers or being a good thing for the cricketers. And you often see the cricketers, you know, holding up signs and going to social media and wishing the other sports well. So it's interesting in this country, maybe because each sport commands so much attention in, a, in its own right, mm. that it, there is a bit of a competition. I mean, does that play out in, in, in the way the fans see it? Or do football fans see cricket fans or, ten, you know, tennis now that's Wimbledon, do they see themselves as like elbowing, each other out for space at the table i think the assumption is kind of that everyone's a football fan and then and then you might like another sport as well and that that's kind of that's kind of there's not many cricket journalists for instance pretty much all the cricket journalists i know are massive football fans uh support a club passionately love cricket as well but there's not too many people who i think kind of just love cricket really yeah and i and also i think um you know there's not been as much success as I don't think we're that picky. Frankly, I think <laughs> that's if, a very if, good point. If uh, you know whoever wins, if anybody wins, <laughs> tiddlywinks, whatever, you, the country will get behind them. It's just a question of knowing that they're you know they have a chance. And I think there's it's always sort of a slow burn with England. So the group stages in any sport, it's like oh yeah, okay, they're playing great. But as soon as they get through and oh they're two games away from winning or one game, you know, then suddenly everyone's like oh yeah, suddenly I like tiddlywinks and I'll get involved and I'll take a note and interest in it. So I don't actually think. I think any sport, you know, the the public just get behind. So I think if England can get in the Cricket World Cup into the semi-finals, I think that will actually swell. You know, it might not be swelling as much as we want, but I think it will swell. And 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 hopefully, if they get to the final, then that that will you know kick off as well. I think that's a really good point. As the few years back, the curling at the Winter Olympics, uh, and suddenly got kind of got record viewing figures, even though it was on at kind of the early hours of the morning, and suddenly everyone was into into curling so cricket could be the new curling that's what we got to, well, that's yeah, what we yeah. got to hope for um right let's talk about some actual cricket that happened uh india beat bangladesh today um on the face of it a relatively comfortable win although there were moments there when i thought bangladesh particularly when shakib and uh, mushfakur were together that they looked like they were going to give it a real real good go and even at the end they pushed them to a, what 28 runs when it could have been 60 or 70 at one stage so india are through um how do we think they're looking though there's are there there's some frailties that their semi-final opponents, whoever they may be, will look to exploit and are, and are there, obviously, to exploit. Yeah, I mean, this India side is, is the India side that we, we've kind of come to expect. Uh, another 100 from Road Sharma, another ton in the, in the top three. Dhoni kind of doing his strange approach to batting and, mm. uh, towards the death and, the, and their bowlers just bowling really well. I was just what, uh, before the pod, I was just watching uh, Boomerah bowl, who's just a joy to watch whenever he's got the ball in his hand. And they kind of... They they winning cricket matches in the same way, aren't they? They're not they're not really finding different ways to win, and maybe that's because Plan A is such a is such an effective plan. But I I do wonder that if they're going to come up again, you know, to bring it back to England, if if they meet England on a good day, I do wonder if they have it in them to beat them. You kind of do wonder how well what what India's Plan B is. How else do they win cricket matches? So perhaps a worry, but like I said, maybe that's just a sign that Plan A is working really well. You talk about Plan A, though. I mean, they've made a lot of changes to their side from the start of the tournament. I just listed a few. So in today's 11, they had Pant, Kartik and Shami, who have all come into the 11 since the start of the tournament. Dawan obviously out injured. Shankar injured too. Kuldeep dropped today. Kedar uh, Jadav dropped today. Raul's move from number four to open that's that's a lot for a side that's potentially going to go on and win the tournament that's a lot of changes to make over the course of, of a world cup yeah it is but i think actually india have got 
a pretty good record of tinkering uh, with their their side. Cody um, likes to he, likes to tinker, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he he does. So I I sort of think that the team and the squad will be used to that. Um, but it's certainly I think in the last week or so I, I just sense, and this could be a comment that is going to come back to bite me, but I sense that maybe the pressure is slightly getting to them. So obviously Afghanistan, they, they beat Afghanistan, but that was a, a close game, could have gone either way. Um, they've obviously lost to England today. Again, wasn't as commanding a performance. You know, they I think uh, they lost their first wicket in the 30th over. They won 180, I think, and fell short of probably 350 that they should have got. Bangladesh let them get away with it, but against a better team, they mm-hmm. won't get away with that sort of mistake. So... Yeah, also, I think Coley's comments about the short boundary, trying to deflect a bit from what was um, a uh, sort of a strange batting performance in the last 15 overs against England. Yeah. I, I just think there is a slight hint that everything isn't going quite according to plan as it was before. So, you know, that may come back to bite me. But, you know, that that's, I think, just a little bit of a chink there. Well, I, I, I as you say, that they've had success with tinkering with their side, but... It felt to me that it was, a first of all, a bit of an omission that they'd got things wrong against it. And because they were saying, playing at the same ground, they switched from two spinners to three seamers and a spinner. Um, and I just thought, to me, Coley is such a kind of a hyperactive cricketer who, who's never satisfied. And it's part of the reason why he's such a, a, a phenomenal batsman. He always wants more. He always wants more. And I wonder with his team selection, whether that's there's something more. He, he can't just settle for what he's got. He always thinks there's something extra he can get. And I do think that creates a bit of uncertainty inside. The fact they've switched from, everyone at the start of the tournament was saying, brilliantly balanced attack, two spinners, two, pace attack, two paces. Uh, and now they've gone from three paces to, to one spinner. Are they going to stick with that for the rest of the tournament? What do I don't think they will. I think they figured that they could probably be at about no disrespect to Bangladesh but they could probably have been at 70% 80% and still beaten them so worth giving it a go with the balance I just think with their two with their two spinners and, and just please remind me of the their bowler who kind of comes at an awkward angle kind of crouches low is that Jadav oh Jadav who was with him, who with him bowling today. four or five overs yeah. today uh, it, with him bowling four or five overs it does make a complete attack I don't think this attack is probably one that they would want in the semis you can't but rely on Pandya to bowl 10 overs I, every game no I don't, th- I don't think so and also you, you talk about the tinkering and, and how he's never satisfied I wonder if the tinking is, tinkering is actually a result of him looking for something else you know mm. there's there hasn't been a hundred at number four for however many, however many games there there certainly hasn't been a hundred five or six so the tinkering is perhaps to try and you know jostle things around and kind of hope that in that jostling something new forms but they ask yes it might be different personnel but I kind of still see them winning the game in the same way if you know what I mean yeah well I'm a pan Batted uh, nicely for his, what, 40-odd today at number four. 48. I saw, I saw Yuvraj Singh tweet, I think we found our number four. I mean, he will be, what, the 13th? I think they've tried over the last right. kind of year or so. Um, so they're going to have to land them at some point. I mean, I think English fans, having seen Pant here last summer in the Test Series, were kind of flabbergasted that they couldn't find a spot for him in their ODI side. And then even more so now that Kartik has been here the whole time, Pant was picked ahead of him, Kartik comes in today, doesn't do much. It seems an increasingly odd pick. Yeah, odd, odd non-pick. It, it does, and it's just that's just uh, still I couldn't get over the decision at the time not to bring Pant here uh, in the original squad, and I, I still I think that's turned out to be the same. Uh, you know, that to to have turned out to be a, just a strange decision, but bringing him in actually I think they've arrived at the position everyone else thought they should be in in having him in the team, mm. um, and I think 
at number four. He's the best option they've got at number four. So I think they've sort of stumbled on that. But interestingly, on the spinners, if they do play England in the semi-final or the final, I think England have got the number over those spinners. If you remember back to last summer, um, England lost the first one-day international when I think... Called it. got Saw six, them apart at Trent Bridge, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. And he got five wickets, I think, in the T20 before that. But then Joe Root got 200s in the next two games and England just play, played them out. They smashed them the other day. So I actually think maybe there's a bit of a feeling now in India, uh, India's camp that if they play England, should they play two spinners? Because I think in the last three games they played them so well. So, um, yeah, the, it's just... The, the only thing is, once you've got Rohit Sharma in your side and you've got Virat Kohli in your side and you've got Boomer in your side, it's still going to take a very, very good team to beat you. Right, well, we have touched on England, but we haven't actually talked about tomorrow's match, which is a rather big one uh, at Durham. Uh, England v New Zealand, a place in the semi-final at stake. I think people said this, uh, the last game against India was England's biggest game in one-day cricket since 1992 World Cup final. I mean, this this one has to be that now, right? If because I, if, if uh, uh, is every game going to be the biggest one? Well, since I, I think it, I think it probably is from from this point on. Um, so, do we think England uh, from having seen the highlights against India on Sunday, England looked excellent? I thought with with bat and mostly with the ball as well. Uh, do we think they've got over a blip uh, and that they can see off New Zealand tomorrow? Yeah, I I do actually. I think um, the return of Jason Roy is a big thing psychologically as well as just for, you know, he's been in great form throughout the summer. I think it's just a big psychological boost. We maybe can get on to talk about him and him and Bairstow at the top of the order. Um, but I felt like that performance against India was a was far more of the England we've seen over the last four years. Just being really aggressive, really positive, taking the positive option on. Whereas I felt like against Australia particularly, they were just a bit timid, a bit nervous as if things were closing in on them. And I do think there's question marks over New Zealand. You know, they've they've had a decent tournament so far, but they had a pretty easy start. They had the game against India washed out. Yeah. They've had some close games against West Indies, Bangladesh. And obviously, I thought their performance against Australia was just very strange. I mean, they, I, I think out of their top batsmen, only uh, top eight batsmen, only one of them, Kane Williamson, scored at a strike rate above 55, which is remarkable. Right? I just thought that was really strange. Yeah. So... I think England have turned a corner and I actually don't think New Zealand are. They're still a good side. They've still got good players, but I don't think they're quite as good as maybe we thought they were earlier in the in the tournament. Yeah, because they went six games unbeaten to start with, but did have that those easier comparatively fixtures at the start. We always thought it could get a little bit tight for them at the end. They've now lost their last two. Yeah, and as you say, I mean, the, I always thought the start, their batting looked too reliant on Williamson and Taylor. And Taylor's done okay without doing great. Williamson obviously being absolutely brilliant. But you look at their averages, Williamson averaging 114 for the tournament. Jimmy Neesham, 46, helped by a not out in the last innings, but has done very well for them. No one else above 40. And then you've got Guptill, 26. Munro, 25. Latham, 8. Yeah, who's played every their game. Their openers have been a problem. You look at the other, the other teams, there and thereabouts in the semis, and their openers have have really stood up. The, the Kiwis have been the one side who haven't really got off to consistently good starts and, and you'd imagine that the, the English new ball bowlers would kind of, you know, be sizing them up and that's not really something you fear and if you can get if you get them two down for about 30-odd, whatever, whatever the case is, yes, Williamson and, and, and Taylor are great but there is a lot of pressure on them because unlike England, there isn't much coming through afterwards. It's interesting how New Zealand have gone because at the start of the tournament and certainly after, when they got on that run and after they beat South Africa, 
I thought, well, you know, here's maybe, you know, they're not just the dark horses. These guys are, are, would be worthy champions. But it's interesting, you kind of, you know, to go to a boxing metaphor, you kind of think a guy is a, a superstar knockout artist and suddenly he comes across someone who can punch equally hard and he, he gets, you know, re you realize, that, oh, he had a glass chinny in half his career. Mm. That's kind of how New Zealand is shaping up. So I do worry for them. and But, you know, again, getting back to England, their propensity for for big fluctuations is something that, that still kind of stays to the side. You, you kind of think that they could still be rolled the way Bolt's ability to, to move the new ball both ways well, and bring it back into the yeah. right-hander. You know, and he's he, got form against England exactly. previously. Exactly. He, he could run through the side. So it's not, a, it's not a gimme, but I still think England should should win it. Who do you want to win, Dan? Isn't that kind of a childish question? But yeah, um, <laughs> I'd like to see a new winner. You mean the whole tournament? I mean England-New Zealand. Oh, but, well, both. Um, England-New Zealand. New Zealand. I, I have a I have a softer spot for them. Um, I quite like this England cricket team. I, I can't stand the rugby team. Um, All right, that's a good divergence. Yeah, I quite, can't stand the rugby cricket team. All the weather, or the food, and, 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 I, and I, don't, I don't I don't mind the footballers, but I quite like this. I quite like the the cricketers. I think they represent a. I think it was Vish in, in Crickbuzz who, or it could have even been you, Rob, who who said that this England team kind of represents a multiracial kind of modern England, and I quite like that. Mm. Um, it, either of those sides winning the tournament, um, I, I just don't want Australia or India to win it personally. You know, as, as a fan, taking my my unbiased journalist hat off for a second, I'd, I'd like to see a new winner. So either England or, or India. Okay. Well, I'm disappointing you haven't gone for England there. I thought that's what I was leading up to, yeah, but, but it's nice. fine. We, we want sorry, we want sorry. honesty. No, we yeah. want honesty. Um, Dan, I, I promised that if you came on the show, then I wouldn't ask you about South Africa, but that was a lie, I'm afraid. I'm okay. going to ask you about South Africa. Right. Um, it feels like South Africa have been knocked out of this tournament for such a long time. Uh, you've been covering the games. Uh, how has it been? And what, what's your, from, from being over here, what's your sense of the mood back home? Is, is, is everyone kind of weary of the thing, or is there still, is anger still keeping them going? <sighs> anger, not so much. People were angry after the Bangladesh defeats. People were less angry after the India defeat because it was expected. People were angry after the after the New Zealand defeats. I think now, given the break and especially that they've that they've performed against not a great Sri Lanka side, but they but they performed against them. You know, they they the old guards stood up. It, it's it's a feeling of frustration of what might have been a, a feeling that yes they they weren't coming here with much expectation but we expected more than this it's not necessarily the results that have rankled but rather the manner of of, of the defeats um yeah weariness frustration dejection it's it's not not a, all these uh sad mopey words that I can, I can throw out there it's it's it hasn't been received one and under 19 side isn't doing very well either there's um, problems at the board level. The South African Cricketers Association are taking Cricket South Africa to court yeah. over over the domestic restructuring. So there's just a, a feeling of yeah of, of despondency around Cricket South Africa. There's not really there's not much positives coming through, and a lot of journalists are kind of scrambling for some feel good stories in the in the development setup. And there are feel good stories if if you go and search them. It's been difficult, obviously, over here looking back home, but. Yeah, a feeling that this this isn't quite rock bottom yet, and I think that's really what worries. You know, after the big chokes of of '99 and you know perhaps the misplaced chutzpah of 2007, you kind of felt that yes, this this is the pits, but there are the players and there are the, the players at, at at the domestic level to bounce back up. And you look around, you kind of feel like well, this might not be the worst of it. I'm interested in that anger angle because. 
I noticed before the Sri Lanka game, JP Dumini apologised. Mm. Um, and I think it was here after the Bangladesh game, and, and we were both here in the press conference. One of the South African journalists asked the question of Faf. I think it was his first or second question of the press conference. You know, what would you say to the South African fans you've you know, let down? He didn't say that, but it, it, in as many words. And I, I find that quite strange. And I think I, I tweeted this and I've got a bit of diff- a mixed reaction that I don't see why professional players who are putting the effort in, who just perform badly, should be apologising. But it was interesting to me that it sort of seemed expected. And I just wonder if you think that has been a, generally a factor of this team, of the expectation and weighing them down. So I don't think it's just this team. Um, I agree with you. I don't think that J.P. Dumini owed the nation an apology. I mean, owed the nation a a collective of 54 million people that speak nine official languages. I mean, one guy's performance who's hardly played, that doesn't owe anyone an apology. You know, they want to perform. They're elite athletes. They're trying to do their job as best they can. No one came here wanting to lose. But the owing the nation an apology or or giving thanks to the nation is is something that stems from, from the new South Africa, from... Nelson Mandela's Rainbow Nation Kool-Aid that we all drank in the early 90s. You know, I myself, you know, you cut me open, I bleed the rainbow, you know, like the good South African I am. There's a sense that our sports teams represent more than just a sports team. They, they, they represent hope. They represent a, a, a fractured nation who, on the day, our best 11 can beat the best 11 of England, a first world country with all their resources and history of, of empire and colonialism, etc. So when, when a journalist asks J.P. Dumini, do you want to apologize to the nation or fuff? What do you think you would like to say to the nation? They're really kind of asking them to speak into that narrative that was first developed in the early 90s by Mandela. And I, 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 do, I think that wave has crashed. I think that rainbowism, you know, just to kind of go off on a tangent if I can, mm. I think that rainbowism is, has been proven to be an, a myth under the nine years un, under Jacob Zuma where millions of people, mostly black people, are still living in townships. So I don't think that rainbow is, rainbowism exists but the myth of it still does and especially on the sports field well that that the 95 rugby world cup final i mean that that was i guess the the kind of embodiment of that the timing couldn't have been better you had the mandela francois pinar uh, Francois Pina wearing the Mandela That's right. Shirt. And in 96, the, the, the year after, South Africa's Bafana Bafana, uh, the football team, won the African Cup of Nations, hosting it for the first time, um, their, their first time playing in it, I think. I, I stand to be corrected, but I think it was their first time playing in the African Cup of Nations. So uh, the the Olympics of 94, Penny Haynes, uh, uh, Josiah Chongwane, I, I know I've pronounced his name incorrectly there, I apologize, winning gold in... Where was the games? Was it Barcelona? Whatever, whatever ninety four was, Atlanta, uh, somewhere. Where, where were that? Where were that, those games were? There was a there was great success. Ernie Els winning golf. I was like, we've emerged from this darkness, and the real the real people who are representing and showing that we that we belong here on the world stage again are our athletes. So when they struggle, it it, it hurts. It, it, it we feel it. I mean, I don't know if you were if, if you've been in. I mean, you have been in the press box, but that after the New Zealand game. Man, people were depressed. It was a, it was a depressed uh, group of people. Well, it's it's great that people care this mm. much. I think that that's the bottom line. Uh, and I I completely agree. But I think players coming out and apologising is uh, is unnecessary. But you know, JP Dumini he's a very impressive bloke, and I know he does a lot of good things outside of cricket. And he obviously he obviously felt some guilt. I don't think it was false, but 
he doesn't really no. he doesn't owe anyone anything i don't know and there's no no harm in doing it right it's not a harmful thing i just yeah. i just it just struck me as i can't imagine somebody ask well maybe that will happen but i can't imagine somebody asking owen morgan in a press conference what do you say to the maybe they might happen you know would you like to apologize i just don't think that would happen i don't know i also think owen morgan would be Which? uh <laughs> Kind of, he's a he's a savvy bloke. I don't think there's any apology coming. I think no. he would say we've lost the cricket match because we haven't played very well, yeah. which is obviously. <laughs> see, and, and, and just just to stay on the point just a little longer, you say that you you don't see any harm. I, I actually disagree. I think there is harm in that because I th- I think it I think it continues to espouse this this falsehood that that athletes by virtue of wearing a flag on their on their shirt are now all of a sudden ambassadors. And I, I in, the, in that piece that I wrote on for the magazine a while back now on on athletes activism, I think that. In South Africa, especially especially in South Africa, people claim representation too easily, but remain blind or, or willfully blind to the struggles of the people back home. So, I think if if you're going to apologise to the nation for losing a cricket match, there needs to be more done outside of the outside of cricket. But maybe, as you say, JP has that right because of all the good work he does. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to seg from that, really, because <laughs> it's now the betting segment of the show. So there's no link. There's no link at all. So I'm just going to go straight into it. Uh, over the course of the World Cup, uh, we have been chatting to Betfair's betting experts to find out where the smart money lies. And earlier I spoke to Ed Hawkins, who said, shared some tips for the week ahead. Ed, thanks for joining us as ever. Uh, I believe you've got three or four tips for us for the week ahead. Yeah, so just kicking off with... England against the Kiwis. First up, we'll keep it brief. But there's a couple of big shouts going in this game, which are what we'd call pure value, where the bookies have got the odds a little bit wrong. And okay. then Ross Taylor top bat at seven to two for the Kiwis, and Lockie Ferguson at uh, ten to three for the top wicket taker for New Zealand. They're just a little bit out of what they should be in terms of their hit rate over the last two years and how okay. often they win their market. Okay, very interesting. Uh, and then looking further ahead in the week? Yeah, I suppose the big game coming up really after that is Afghanistan-West Indies. That's a, a clash which will um, uh, interest the punters because a lot of people are going to be wanting to get on the Afghans at about 7-2 with Betfair for this one. And, you know, you can make a case. You can make a case for them, I think. Um, I know they've had some issues in the camp and their batting has been a bit reckless and ill-disciplined at times. And obviously they should have beaten Pakistan um, after that late implosion with some funny decision-making. But West Indies aren't really um, setting the world alight. You know, they've, they've just failed to beat Sri Lanka and they were very, very short odds to beat Sri Lanka in that game. So they must have let down an absolute army of punters because right. they were backed into extremely short odds. And we just think they're a little bit one-dimensional, West Indies. You know, they can be big and brutish with, with the bat and the ball, but there doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of nuance to their game. And on a wicket which might help the Afghan spinners, and there's an army of them, um, maybe the West Indies could get a little bit bogged down, might not be able to go for their big shots. And there's some room in that Afghanistan price, you know, at seven to two for a for a sit down in front of the TV and and uh, a bit of a roller coaster ride, or maybe you could even trade that in running for some profits. So Afghanistan uh, um, are catching our eye at seven to two in that one. And that that one's at Headingley, isn't it? And I, I see that West Indies have been in good positions and struggled to get over the line. I, I quite like a like a bit of that as well. Oh, you're right; they're not getting over the line in games, yeah. you know. And, and and I just don't think they've got the smarts. So Afghanistan value. Uh, and your next one? 
Pakistan, Bangladesh, we're going to go for the outsider again here. How typical would it be of Pakistan to have done all this hard work to get themselves back into the contention for the semi-finals and then chuck it away at the last? Um, I think Bangladesh are, you know, they're a durable outfit. Um, they are a little bit reliant on Shakib, but they've got plenty of fight in them. And the way they pegged back India when they looked like they were going to get get 400 uh, on Tuesday was impressive so I think they'll give Pakistan a really tough game here and I think I'm right in saying that Bangladesh have won the last four in the head-to-head right okay interesting when you're looking at odds of four to nine Pakistan um it's a, it's a price to turn your nose up at, really. If there's one rule of cricket betting, it's never, ever bet Pakistan at odds on. Um, and I'll be I'll be taking them all, on all day long at those prices. Bangladesh to go well in that that one. And you can get about nine to five with Betfair. And we'll keep our fingers crossed for likes of Shakib to, to come to the party again. And maybe Tamim to get involved. And Mushfikir, you know, and we're talking about these players just reeling off names. These are good players, you know. Yeah. Uh, Strafe Maltaza, great competitor. Mustafa the Fizz, five wickets against India on Tuesday. So Tom very, Beaker, very yeah. happy to be with Bangladesh. Brilliant, Ed. Is, is that it? Or have you got another one for us this week? Um, well, we're moving in Saturday, really, and then we've got a couple of mismatches, I think. Sri Lanka versus India, not really floating our boat. India have been a little bit... Um, up and down in, in, in games, but getting the job done eventually, apart from that, goes slow against England. Australia, South Africa isn't a great match odds bet, but we'll probably be looking for top bat bets in, in that one if we can get if we can get on David Warner, maybe at about um, 11-4 to 4 for top run scorer honours. That'll be a decent bet. Him and Aaron Finch are having a real ding-dong battle for top Australian run scorer in the tournament. And... Sure overall tournament yeah. scorer and, and that's a really great betting heat because it's basically between those two well thanks as ever for your expertise Ed uh, we'll see how those go over the course of the next week alright cheers Joe so from the expert to the amateurs now it's time for the always eagerly awaited Phil v Joe challenge uh, if you're new to this at the start of the World Cup Betfair Exchange gave £100 each to uh, Phil and I to bet over the course of the tournament with any funds remaining being noted, donated to the charity Chance to Shine who are taking the game to schools and communities around the country as it stands I'm not doing very well Phil's doing slightly better uh, now you may have noticed Phil's not actually here today that's because he's sunning himself in Ibiza uh, allegedly it's his sister's wedding or something um, but he was good enough to pick up the phone when I called him earlier uh, and these are our bets for the week joining me on the line from Ibiza is uh, is Phil Walker. Phil, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you, Joe. I I'm bounding by the pool, quite literally. Uh, yeah, but obviously focusing on my cricket bets, you know, yeah, as you'd expect at this stage. Quite enough of that. Let, yeah, let's move straight on to your bets. Um, let's let's start with let's quickly run down how we're going on our tournament bets so far. Have you got anything still still live? Well, very much so. Um, Rohit Sharma, I got twenties on the exchange initially, and he is now far and away, well, not far and away, but he is now number one, 544 runs. We are chatting midway through the India-Bangladesh game, so Shakib could conceivably haul him in with, I think, a 70-odd, but Sharma at 544 is currently out in front, and then there's that those two Aussies, those two Aussies, the flies in the ointment for me, really. Warner is 40 behind him, and Finch is 28 behind. Mm. And the other bet, of course... The famous bet that I talk of every day of my life is Joe Root in England at 33-1. to 1. And Root is in that pack. Root may 
4-7-6 runs so far in the tournament. Obviously, the India, uh, the New Zealand-England game to come. Yeah. Uh, so, Root is very much in the mix. And I see the top run scorer in the tournament being from those four, really. I think it's Sharma, Warner, Finch or Root. Um, yeah. bar- barring yeah. something spectacular with Bangladesh getting through to the semis, I see those four battling it out. I have fears that Warner and or Finch uh, are going to ruin this one for me. But at the moment... I'm very much engaged with this, and those two are conceivable to come in. 33 to 1 route in England, uh, double, Sharma 20 to 1. And, and what's the one that's fallen away? We can't just have you sounding like you've, you've done well here. Does sound that, doesn't it? Quinton de Kock. Quinton de Kock, of course. We need to bring that up every week, just to, just to remind listeners. I'll very quickly run through mine because there's not much live here at all. Jason Roy to be leading run scorer, about 260 behind Rohit Sharma, so that looks a stretch. Trying to be Wooden Spoon, not happening. Uh, Pat Cummins to be leading wicket-taker, which was one looking pretty good at one stage, but he's 12 behind Mitchell Stark now. So that's not happening either. But I will say... Start far and away, Joe. Start far and away now. He's it? seven ahead of the nearest rival. Uh, yeah, and he's, and, and he's 12 ahead of Cummins. So yeah, I think he's probably got that one wrapped up. Um, but I will say, uh, I won a bet last week, one of my last uh, my weekly bets. I had Pakistan, that Pakistan down to beat New Zealand, uh, which they did. Uh, so made a, a little profit there. So it's, it's not all bad news. Um, yeah, I, I stupidly, Joe, just on that one, I came in on a double. I had uh, Australia to be beaten by England and Pakistan to beat New Zealand. So I was half right, um, but obviously that doesn't amount to anything. I bummed out completely last week, incidentally. I didn't make a pretty penny at all. All right, good. Well, that's excellent news. That is what this challenge is all about. So, uh, and all right, Phil, tell me what? How are you shaping up for this week? What What have you gone for? Okay, um, um, I've got I've got four lined up. I know conceivably it should be three, but I've got four lined up here. I have a rather audacious double at twelve to one. Okay, and I've gone on. I've gone on Afghanistan to beat the West Indies. I think the West Indies that they are home. They are fed up with this tournament. Um, and Afghanistan have been pushing hard for, to get that win under their belt. Obviously, they ran India close, they ran Pakistan close. Uh, I can see possibly Afghanistan turning the West Indies over, uh, especially with the spinners as well. They are their trump cards, of course, for Afghanistan, the West Indies, and they don't fancy the spinners too much. The middle order doesn't play them as well as they do the pace. So I can possibly see that. Uh, and Bangladesh to beat Pakistan, this is predicated on England beating New Zealand. I think if England beat New Zealand, yeah. Pakistan will be so down uh, that Bangladesh, who are an equivalent side anyway, I think, I think it's a shootout between those two teams. Uh, I fancy Bangladesh. The odds are considerably better for Bangladesh to win than, than they are for Pakistan, so I'm going on a double there. Afghan, Bangladesh, 12-1. to 1. Um, Cody to be top-run scorer in India's final game, he's due. You know, it's remarkable, really, that he hasn't made 100 yet. That's Sri Lanka on Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Kohli to, to run away with it. I can't see Sharma getting yet another 100. So I'm saying Kohli to make his first three-figure score of, of the tournament so far. You can get him around 9-4, to four, perhaps 10-3. to three. Um, I'm going to go for Warner and De Kock as a double um, to be top runs in the final group game of South Africa-Australia. Uh, four to one, you're going to get them around four, maybe maybe fives. Um, and the one I'm really fancying is, is is coming up in the England New Zealand game. It's Williamson and Root to make fifty each at four to one. That's on sportsbook. Okay. So Williamson and Root to make fifty apiece, four to one sportsbook. I like that one. I have to say, you're sticking with your doubles, not not uh, not warned off by your your last week's uh, failures. But that's good. Staying confident. Um, 
on on mine, I've actually also got Afghanistan to beat West Indies at four four point five on the exchange. Um, similar thinking to yours. I think West Indies keep getting a good positions, and then imploding. I also just think this match will mean a huge amount to Afghanistan and perhaps not quite as much to to West Indies. Uh, so I could I could see them nicking that one at four to five on the exchange. Those are really really uh, tasty odds as well. Um, I've got in tomorrow's match or today's match if you're listening to it uh, on Wednesday uh, England New Zealand uh, England leading wicket taker Liam Plunkett at seven to two on Sportsbook uh, Durham a ground he knows well he took three wickets v India uh, he's still got a point to prove after being left out earlier in the tournament uh, and I think he, he looks in really really good shape at the moment and just always seems to take wickets in those middle overs so I think that's that that's a a nice one. Uh, and then he was brilliant, of course, on Sunday as well. Plunkett, you know, he really held that innings together. It was it was a good shout to bring him back into the team. I mean, I think he probably plays from here on in, doesn't he? In this in this side, however far it goes in the tournament. I think that's probably right. I think it's now coming back down to to Wood or a, a spinner uh, to miss out. I would I would guess, but I, I mean, I I expect them to go with Wood and Plunkett and and Moen to sit out. Uh, against New Zealand. Although this, when people were listening to this, the match might have already started and we just sound stupid. So we should probably, <laughs> probably move on from this a little bit. Um, but uh, And then my final one, um, odds aren't up on Sportsbook yet, uh, but they will be shortly. I'm backing Rohit Sharma again to top score for India v Sri Lanka on Saturday, probably at about 3-1. to one. Uh, He's got 400s already in the World Cup uh, with the possible exception of Malinga. Uh, I don't see Sri Lanka's attack unduly troubling him. And he keeps getting a bit of luck as well. Root dropped him in, in the game on on Sunday. Tamim dropped him today. Uh, I think it feels like everything's going Rowett's way. So I'm going to stick with him. And he's done me well in this tournament so far. So those are my bets for the week ahead. Uh, well, may the best man fail slightly easier than the other man. Uh, best of luck, Joe. Um, I hope you're enjoying London town uh, in the heatwave. I'm going to get back to my sun lounger. Uh, and speak to you in a few days. All right, sickening. Uh, have a good time. <laughs> Cheerio. Good luck. Bye. Okay, before we finish up, uh, Dan and Rob, tell me what you're looking forward to over the course of the next week. Rob, what you start? Um, I'm actually looking, and I guess this this might not materialise, but I I would quite like England and Australia to play another game um, because, for as I mentioned earlier, I think. In the knockout phases, it would be good for England to actually have a go at Australia. I think the game at Lords last week, as I said, it, I think England were timid. I don't think they really put enough pressure on Australia. Um, and I think just sort of throwing it forward for the rest of the summer, we got the Ashes coming up after the World Cup, hot on the heels. I just think if we could have a real, really good semi-final game or final between those those two teams, England playing far better, Australia playing really well, you know, best team wins, but with both teams going hammer and tong, I just think that would set up the summer more, you know, obviously it's got its own context for the context for the World Cup, but mm. I, I think it would set the summer up and I think it would also, for the Ashes, just, you know, create a few little battles. So, you know, there's going to be that bowling attack for Australia in this tournament are going to be the bedrock of the Ashes bowling attack will Jason Roy play in the in the Ashes we don't know but it would be great for him to make a statement against will Finch that Finch play attack. in the Ashes as well will Finch, pl- will Finch play you know so I think there's a lot of subplots but I 
I just think I was just disappointed in that game at Lords, and I just whoever wins, I just want a better game, and I would love them to meet up because I do think if they do play each other in the knockout phases, I think England will just go for it because they'll have learnt the lesson from the the previous game. Yeah, I agree with that. I was at Lords for that one, and it was just, Australia were brilliant. That has to be said. I thought they would just played it, played the game perfectly, but uh, England also kind of played into their hands a bit, and it was just a bit of a damp squib by the end. It was a very flat crowd who didn't there wasn't any kind of sense of anger or frustration it almost like was like the crowd kind of lost interest halfway through as well and you what yeah those two sides you want to see going at each other hammer and tongs and and hopefully if england can beat new zealand uh then we might see that still yet to come just staying staying on that game because i was there too if england got put put in another performance like they did against australia i mean it felt like a choke in a way you know you asked me earlier about south africa and choking is the, is there a danger that the side if they don't put in another performance like they did against India if they say they 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 smashed New Zealand but they go out in the semi-finals or even the final in the manner that they did against Australia would 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 the choke label be attached to them I, I don't know if the choke word is so very much South African in cricket now I think we're probably trying to, to pass it on probably have to come up with a new one um I I think it perhaps would exist do, in, do you know what I'm getting you, at? yeah no I absolutely do and I think it would to an extent because England have come in as as favorites and we've trumped this side for for so for three or four years now so it would have it would have to feel a, a bit like that I think really at the start England had to get to the final for it to be considered a, a, a good effort on their part didn't necessarily have to win it because you can get beaten by anyone on their day but I think they had to get to the final for it to be considered success so Still, that still could happen. Uh, I guess as well, if they if they go out now, having lost a few games earlier on, then actually their win lose record at the end is going to be well. This was, this wasn't the form of a of a top side at all. Had we got overexcited, were they actually that good? Um, so yeah, it's all, all still up for grabs. I think it could could still end up looking like a big disappointment, even if they do get past this New Zealand hurdle. Yeah, and I think if they you know if they don't get over that hurdle tomorrow, then I think it would it would be more of a choke to use that word than actually if they got to the semi-final and lost in a one-off game because I think actually you know to lose to Pakistan then lose to Sri Lanka then lose to New Zealand Mm. in games actually against three teams that you know on paper and I know cricket's not played on paper but on paper that they should be winning I think that would ask more questions and actually if they got to the semi-final and where David Warner scored a magnificent 100 and knocked them out so Mm. I actually, in a way, think there's a bit more pressure on tomorrow's game for them than actually if they get through. And that's why I sort of say if they do get through, I can see them just freeing up because, um, you know, that I, I feel like the pressure will be off a little bit. But let's let's not forget they have been the world number one team. They have beaten anyone who's come near them for four years. Yeah. And, you know, it, it would be a disappointment were they not to get to the final. And I think then... You'd have to ask questions of, sort of preparation and, you know, mentally, were they in the right spot? And I know they've had a few injuries and stuff. But um, so I, in a weird way, I think tomorrow is actually more pressurised than the than the knockout stages. Actually. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and just before we finish, Dan, what are you looking forward to over the course of this week? Uh, well, well, I was inspired by, and I'm not just saying because he's here, but but a piece by Rob on, on CrickBuzz where he wrote beautifully on, on the battle between Malinga and Hashim Amla. Um, at the game against Durham, which is a, a gorgeous ground, by the way, I really enjoyed my time there. I'm I'm excited to see some legends bow out, and I, I'd like to see the reception that they get. I mean, in South Africa, you got Imran Tahir, you got JP Dumini, Hashim Amla playing their last World Cups. 
uh, couple all over the place. Chris Gale, Malinga himself. Yeah, so I, I'm just I'm just quite keen to see how these guys put in one final performance, and and I hope the crowds really get up for them. And you know, not many players as we've seen with Dale Stain get to bar out of a World Cup on their feet, and and I, I hope that the crowds rise to the occasion and give them the send off they deserve. Lovely. Well, that's a lovely place to finish it, I think. Um, the Wisden Cricket Daily podcast will be back tomorrow. I'm going to be joined by New Zealand reporter Andrew Alderson and Ben Jones of CrickViz to look back on that huge match at Durham. Uh, let's see if the ever-cheerful Ben is still smiling come stumps tomorrow. This has been the Wisden Extra podcast in partnership with Betfair Exchange. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or all the other usual platforms. Podcast Network.